Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 147 of the Childless Not by Choice podcast. My name is Savilla Morgan. My mission, as many of you know, is to recognize and speak to the Childless Not by Choice women and men around the world, reminding you, reminding us that we can live joyful, relevant, fulfilled, childless, not by choice lives. And of course, whether you have children or not, thanks for tuning in. This is the first episode of 2023, and we have a guest. And you guys know how much I love having guests, so you don't have to hear me all the time. And we have a repeat guest because I felt like she would be the best person to start off our 2023 season. So I am so excited to have with us today one Ms. Yvonne John. Hi, Yvonne. How are you? Hey, I am good, Sevilla. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Guys, Yvonne is an author. She's author of Dreaming of a Life Unlived. She is a speaker and she is an advocate for the Childless Not by Choice community. And in particular, the Childless Not by Choice of Color, Black women. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that today as well. But first, I'd like to thank my Patreon contributors. Thank you guys for the monthly financial gifts that you give to this platform to help keep things going, keep the lights on. It is truly appreciated. And remember, if you would like to become a patron in the 2023 year and beyond, it's not just for a year, it's for as long as you can, it would be greatly appreciated. The link is in the show notes on how to become a patron. If you have questions, of course, feel free to reach out via email, Sevilla at sevillamorgan.com, or just send me a message wherever you you hang out, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever it is you are, I'm there, trust me. So Yvonne, thanks again for, for tuning in. Your first episode, I looked back last night and your first episode was episode 103 and now we're at episode 147. Wow. <laughs> Seems like a long time ago. <laughs> it feels like ages ago. <laughs> it does. I'm so happy to have you back. I did put the link in the show notes for anyone that wants to listen back to episode 143. And I feel like Yvonne has done so much since episode 103 that I really wanted to catch up and have you guys hear her voice again and hear what she's doing for our communities, <laughs> childless not by choice, and women of color, childless not by choice. So her website address is in the show notes, findingmyplanb.com. And so be sure to check it out. You know, I went into the website. As soon as I saw the here blog, I, mm -hmm. I went there. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> I saw the Annie Turnbull Malone blog. I'm like, wait, here, let's go over there. <laughs> I just got, just got pulled over to the here. And I didn't know that she basically invented and patented the hair straightening comb. Yes. Uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so too. I was so chuffed to kind of find her and, and know more about her, especially as having a history of using the hot comb. Right. And not ever thinking about where it came from or who invented it i never so, thought about that yeah we just use it and i mean we're like this every day isn't it we we have a tool we use it it works that's all we need to know and you just keep on moving this is it <laughs> and and get your ear burnt every once in a while the top yeah of your and ear. the back of your neck exactly. <laughs> been there done that oh my goodness so yeah that was pretty cool to read that blog I, I would i would really ask everyone to check out the website i really love perusing the website it's very nice after that i went to the Woman King blog, where you talked about the Agoji people and knowing yeah. our history and all of that. I'm like, wait, she's going to have me going down a rabbit hole for real. <laughs> that was a great blog, too. And I'm like, I'm reading and reading and doing all this research. And I've been researching for a couple of days, but I really honestly didn't go to the website till last night as of this recording. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I sat there for a good hour just going through the website. It's really nice. I'm not just Thank saying it. I you. really like it. So... Do check it out, you guys. Those are listening. And again, you know, this podcast was created for the childless, not by choice, definitely first and foremost. But I really believe, as I have believed from the beginning, that we need to be able to converse with those who have children. Otherwise, you know, what's what's the real point other than, yes, we need to create community for the childless, not by choice. But we also need to be able to to speak properly to each other mm. and eloquently to each other. Those of us who have children and those who do not about the experiences. And so that's why I really love having guests and love having you on, Yvonne. 
Before we get started, though, I want because I didn't see this in the information that you sent me. Mm-hmm. That photo project that you did was it the was it a train station where all the photos of black people in Britain were done? No, no. So it, Paul Chase of Black Britain. Mm-hmm. It was a project by a British photographer called Cephas Williams, who has been going around the country. I think he started it up north maybe around two years ago and he did his first exhibition in manchester basically he sent a call out he wanted to photograph people of Mm -hmm. black heritage um, black british people of uh, caribbean african heritage so that he would display them so he did his first one in manchester in a mall in manchester and the second one he did in london so he invited people in London to come and have their pictures taken to be a part of the exhibition. Mm. And that exhibition then was then put up in Blue Water Shopping Centre in London, which was such an amazing, amazing experience. I mean, you know, I like having my picture taken anyway. (laughs) So it wasn't a hard, you know, I didn't have to think too much about it when somebody posted it in one of my groups. I thought, yeah, I I definitely want to do that. I went along. They were so great. Him him and his team were really, really great. So it was really great to also get to know him and why he was doing the project. And he wanted to do it in Blue Water because he had a a racial profiling experience at that Mm. shopping centre where he bought some luggage. And as he was leaving, he got stopped by the security and accused of of stealing the luggage. Wow. So it was a huge thing. And you can look this up. It's on YouTube. You see what had happened to him. And for him to go back to Blue Water to do this exhibition was a real poignant moment for him. It meant a lot for him to to also display there. And for me, when I went there, um, I remember going, I took me and my parents went along um, knowing that the exhibition was up went there saw the bit where they had all the pictures and i saw this what like 10 foot massive picture of me up on the wall (laughs) that yeah it was just like amazing and then he had like a4 pictures around these platforms and to walk around and see all the different images and he had some of the images that he'd used before as well to see all these images and all these faces and all the diversity we have as black people Mm-hmm. And I remember standing there thinking, and we're supposed to all look the same <laughs> in, you know, cause that's what white people say. You all look the same. <laughs> and it, you know, that really hit home for me that I'm looking at all our faces thinking, look how different we are knowing our history, you know, what the messages are, as part of our history was, you all look mm-hmm. the same. You know, it was, it yeah. was, it was amazing. It was, you know, really humbling and really touching to be a part of it and, and to see our history right in front of us. You know, th- comments like that, commentary like that, I always feel like it's a two part thing. It's a little a level of ignorance. And I mm. think it's I, I think a lot of people who tend to be ignorant enjoy it because it's easier that way than mm. actually going out and learning something. I also think that um, there there are people who just, I, I think you, I, I, I couldn't figure it out at first. I couldn't figure out how somebody could just not like or love themselves. But I, I, yeah. I don't know what else to say, except if you don't love or like yourself, you're not going to like anybody else. This is a good point. I mean, I kind of feel like as black people, we have been given a narrative of self-hatred and and, uh, lack of worth you know you just have to go back to our enslaved times and you will see the messages we can still carry with us today because one of the things with our enslaved times is there came a point when people were saying well slavery is over you know why are we still talking about it and the absence of these conversations the absence of this learning means that we don't realize what we are unconsciously carrying we have a genetic memory we have this unconscious conditioning but we can't break that cycle if we don't know it's there right and then the people who are saying making these comments though they are not going to understand unless they want to or make themselves understand because it's it's like again it's easier to just 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 look the other way. It's always easier yeah. to look the other way. Well, you know? a, I, I mean, I agree. Absolutely. It, you know, it's a re- very lazy narrative yes. and, and way of existing. And I think like what I've experienced, this is one of the joys of the journey I'm on is that I, I've really done a lot more research. I've become so much more aware of myself mm-hmm. and my heritage as a black person is that 
I see how white people, and I'm being very general here, how they don't want to have these conversations. They don't want to dig deeper in it. They don't want to be uncomfortable because if they dig deeper, they will see their part to play in systemic racism. They will see their part to play in maintaining systemic racism. And again, this is not about blame because I don't have to sit here and blame. I certainly don't have to sit there and say every white person's racist because I do not believe that. No. But it doesn't mean that they are not perpetrating racism. It doesn't mean that they're not contributing to racism. And their unconscious awareness of this can mean that it doesn't change. So until we can all be raw, open, honest, until we can pull away all the the blind, you know, the blindness that we have, until we can really get to a place where we're okay with being uncomfortable, we're, we're okay with being naked and seeing it for what it is, to be able to own our part in it, mm-hmm. then it's not gonna change. No. You know, it, no. It, it becomes different. I think narratives change, the way it looks will change, but it doesn't change. Deep down, the deep down doesn't change. The foundation, you have to change yeah. the foundation. Yeah. You have to and change the, things from the, a foundational level. This is, and the only way you can get to the foundations is by digging deep. Right. And yeah. and if you don't want to dig deep, well, you know, then we, as you said, it continues, it perpetuates, and yeah, that's why it's been perpetuated. It's it's as you know, here in the U.S., it, it's perpetuated since the end of slavery because again, there are a lot of people who wanted it to end. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln wanted it to end. He thought it should end. A war was had to have it end, mm. but then there weren't enough people. There were some people. There were about uh, abolitionists. And, you know, thank God for them. But the fact is, there are not enough people who are willing to do the work. And as I sat yeah. here listening to you, I was thinking about two things. Something you said a little earlier, our genes remember. You and I are maybe just a couple generations, maybe three generations away from slavery. Mm. And our genes are going to remember and the way they remember. And this is what people don't understand. We, our genes remember under the guise of high blood pressure, diabetes, mm-hmm. just a lot of, a lot of us carry a lot of weight and maybe the weight can be just how our, as, as black people, again, not trying to generalize, but a lot of us, including me, we carry weight in certain places. And all of that is, is genetic. And some of it, at least, I'm not a doctor, but some of it comes from at least high blood pressure. And you can't tell me high blood pressure and diabetes don't come from that. We had yeah. our, the people that, that we come from had to eat the, the worst part of the food, the yeah. spoiled foods or ground provisions, as we call them, potatoes, all the high sugar stuff like potatoes, the bad parts of the, of the, the, the goat or the, the pig or whatever. That stuff lends to the things that we deal with. And again, that may be too deep for some people. (laughs) But the other thing I was thinking about, as speaking of, you know, where you carry weight and all that kind of stuff, as you were talking about how, you know, seeing those pictures of all those different people and all the different complexions that we come in and all of that, I was thinking years ago, I was watching an, an Oprah show. And before that show, there's a before that show and after that show. Before that show, I used to cover my backside. I used to wear clothes that, that fit loosely and that mm-hmm. covered my backside. I was just, I, I, I covered it at all times with a shirt or a bigger dress or whatever. And this particular Oprah episode freed me. I can't talk about any other episode ever before or after that, but I will tell you this episode And I can't even remember what the whole thing was about, but that particular episode, from that episode, I stopped covering my butt. (laughs) Wow. Do you remember what it was specifically about that episode that made you kind of look at yourself differently? It It was about weight and it was about the fact that a lot of black women, we do have a lot of weight in our backsides. That's that's just yeah. how it is. Yeah. And it was just, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to see if I can do some research on that episode. It was years ago. But all I can tell you is from that episode, I stopped. I stopped. I was like, wait a minute. I'm hiding a part of me. I was hiding a part of me. You know, some of us, we 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 are made to be shamed because of our our lips 
or our noses and, and a lot of us because of our butts. Yeah. Do you know, you are just reminding me of, so have you heard of Sarah Bartman? I don't think so. I'm writing that. So as you were saying that, because one of the things that was, that I was reminded of when you were talking was the fact that, you know, we have a genetic memory, therefore they have a genetic memory too. We didn't go Mm -hmm. through the slave times just coming out one-sided on this. So there are things going down the white European genetic line that is also playing out in our, in our present. And as you were then talking about the butt, it reminded me of Sarah Bartman, who was the enslaved woman. And she had a big butt. Mm. She was actually, in a way, ridiculed, put on display. She was exhibited in a freak show. And people used to come to see her butt. And, and, you know, white people had put her on show in this way, saw her as a freak and exploited that. And as you were talking, she came up for me in in terms of, A, our shame around our bodies, Mm -hmm. and two, how, where that shame came from, you know. I'm looking her up right now. Oh, I see. Okay. I see her. Oh my gosh. It's terrible. I was just looking at the pictures, but yeah, yeah it's, that's enough. I can't look anymore. Oh my God. Because I'm seeing how they were seeing her, you know? Yeah. And it's just terrible. And so, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of work, even before we even get to the childless, not by choice portion of this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's a, a lot of work that we all need to do. And here in the U.S. right now, you know, our government, are, they're trying to look the other way by saying, oh, we don't want to teach critical race theory, which was never really thought, taught anyway. It was yeah. some college college classes, but anything, anything to look the other way. Now it's, yeah. oh, we don't want to teach critical race theory and we don't want to make our kids feel bad about themselves. You know, those <laughs> that type of narrative. That's what's happening yes. here right now. I've been hearing, I have been hearing about this. I mean, I haven't read too much into it. However, I just kept, I couldn't get past the whole, we don't want them to feel uncomfortable. It just, I don't know. I have no words to describe how I feel about this because I mean, all of this, we're supposed to be uncomfortable. How does things change if we don't get uncomfortable? Right. And, you know, how do we look at ourselves? You know, I don't know how we can sit here and say we're not this or we are that or whatever it is we want to discredit or own Mm -hmm. without knowing, without going deep within. Because on a surface level, it's easy for us to claim whatever we want to claim, but it means nothing if we've done the work to really look at and understand what that means. And we have to look at our shadow. We cannot sit here and go, I am this and I am that without actually looking, understanding and and claiming our shadow side. It just has to be there. And it's not going to be easy for black people either, by the way. No, absolutely. (laughs) You know, it's the, the way I guess the way I can explain it for anyone who may be listening, who may still be confused is and okay, keep in mind, I've never been married. But the only thing I can think of is if you are married and you never have the hard conversations. Will the marriage continue? Will it last? Or what's what, what would happen? You know, that's that's the only thing I can liken it to. I can't think of another relationship. It could be any friendship, really. Any, any, yeah. any relationship, to be honest. Marriage, a good friendship, a friendship that you want to keep going, any kind of relationship that you want to keep going. You, it's, it's never going to last on a surface level. You have to discuss the hard things. Yeah, I think the avoidance of that discussion means right. it's superficial. It may, it may last, but what is it? You know, if it's that superficial, is it true? Because right. I think without doing that work, without going deep, it's not being tested. Right. And also you're not truly liking that person because you don't know them. You don't know their true selves. That's right. You don't know how to act when they get angry. <laughs> also, yeah. <laughs> when they've suffered loss or, you know, yeah, it's all superficial. It's and so, and then, and then you can probably even take it personally if they're angry and you don't really understand why something would anger them that may not anger you because you never did the work to find out who they really are. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, as usual, I always like to take a left turn and so. <laughs> that's what we did <laughs> that was a real lift up <laughs> yeah it was but I, I really wanted to know and I don't know if you have a link to this gentleman's does he have a, I would imagine he has a website right with the pictures Steph, yes I will send you a link 
please do. And I'll put it in yeah. the show notes for anyone who wants to check it out. The images are just powerful. They're just powerful. And I get this, actually, I just want to add before you move on. I remember looking at, because the whole thing with it is he asked, none of us were allowed to smile, you know, and, you know, especially black people. We love, we dress up, we want to right. look good. And, <laughs> you know, we're, we're in a way presenting, you know, and this is what we do with pictures. We're presenting right. our best selves. Right. I remember looking at the picture with my partner and he was like, yeah, you would have just deleted that picture if you'd taken it yourself, which is so true because for me, looking at myself not smiling, it was a version of me that I wasn't used to. And when I really looked at it, I realized it was this strong, powerful woman that I was trying not to be because a strong, powerful black woman is seen as negative. So to kind of have her look back at me and embrace her Mm. was tough. It was really, really hard to do. And I posted it out on the social media and people were like, oh my God, you look so strong. You look so powerful, so beautiful. And I had to see, I had to kind of look at what they were looking at before I could see what they were looking at (laughs) and embrace it and like it and love it for who I am. I I just couldn't connect with that side of me. It It was a very strange experience for me and a very healing in a way one as well because it was you know we live fragmented lives and I think until we do the work till we look inside till we are prepared to sit with our shadow we will always remain fragmented so that was a part of me that was able to embrace being a strong black woman with what being a strong black woman means for me. And that kind of leads to the next question but again also kind of what we were talking about before when we're talking about we all need to do the work, that means we all need to do the work. We're not asking one certain race to do the work. We're asking all of us to do the work because again, it leads back to what I was saying about, you know, being ashamed of my butt. I had to realize that that's a part of my body. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's like, I can't just like, pretend it, it's not there. <laughs> you know, this is a good point because we can fragment our bodies as well. Yes. Yes. So when you say we live fragmented lives, yes, we can fragment our bodies and just hope nobody else realizes, oh, she has a big butt. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it doesn't work that way. This is indeed. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes, we all have work to do. And I'm going to have to really check on that Oprah episode. And if I find it, I'll... I'll yeah. tell you and I'll tell the, you know, tell the listeners as well. But I'm telling you that episode freed me. And at the time, no, not so much now, I had, I had a much smaller waist. And so that's how I was described, you know, because I had a smaller waist and then I had the big hips and the big butt and the big boobs. Right. And so, of course, people made commentary about that as well. It's like you can't win. You can't win. <laughs> so there's commentary about that, too. What kind of woman is she? (laughs) She must be a loose woman with that shape. Like I created my shape. You know, it's like, hello. (laughs) Unbelievable. It's so much. It's so much. But that kind of led me to the next question, because you do have a role at Gateway Women's Reignite Weekend. So tell us about your role and your contribution to the Gateway Women's Reignite Weekend workshops. Yeah. So, I mean, I got, I became a trained facilitator in 2018. I think I finished my training and I started my first Reignite weekend in April, 2018. And I've been doing them ever since. It's been such a, oh, so many different experiences with me. It's humbling. It's, it feels like a privilege. I mean, essentially for those of you who don't know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a weekend where women come together and they get to work through the grief of being childless. Now, this is a two-day workshop. So it's not about you end the two days and that's it, your grief, you're done, you've figured it all out. It literally is, in a way, the start of that. It's opening that door. Or for some women, kicking that door open because at the start of it, it's a bit of jar because we're grieving. You know, something has triggered that loss of motherhood and Mm -hmm. it feels deep, heavy, and it hurts. Mm -hmm. And these women want to have help, as scary as it is, because some women don't even go through with it. They want to get the help, but it's too much. And they feel, no, I can't do it. I can't face it. It takes a lot for these women to come on that Saturday to walk in the room. You see them, they're with their heaviness, their sadness. And throughout the two days, 
they have an opportunity to talk like they've never talked before. You know, up until that moment, if they dare to tell people they were childless, if they dare to even utter the words, I'm grieving or I'm really sad about it, society, whoever is in that society for them, would try and fix it Hmm. because society sucks at (laughs) not being able to deal with things they can't fix. At listening. Um, (laughs) <laughs> they they can't do it. They can't. They want. I mean, you know, again, I'm generalizing. I have come across some great examples in my journey of women outside of our circle who are able to listen to it or who are able to relate to it in part. But for most of this is somebody is offering advice, wanting to fix it, mainly because they don't want to sit with the pain or they don't know how to. Mm-hmm. But there's this thing around not allowing it. What I found was it didn't feel allowed because we could do something about it. And if we didn't do something about it, we really didn't want to be mothers in the first place. So when we're battling all of that, trying to just exist in a way, in in our normal everyday stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, going to work, whatever it is, it becomes painfully hard, painfully unbearable that it's a wonder people even get out of their beds. Right. And they come as I said, they come and they sit in this place where they can talk like they've never talked before. They've never been listened to before. They can be witnessed like they've never been witnessed before. So much so that they get to see what this grief is for them. Other than it feels really shit and I'm really sad. Mm -hmm. You know, they get to really see it. They get to unpack it. They get to understand where it's coming from, what it means for them so that they can start to look at how do I live with this, move with this, embrace this. You know, it's not about getting over it because Mm -hmm. we don't get over it. It's a loss. We are not going to get over it. However, we will learn to embrace it as part of our life, as part of existence to the point where it doesn't hurt so much. So they get that opportunity to start to think about what could their plan B's look like? Again, we're not there to say this is what it's going to be. We're not giving people a plan B. They're not coming away going, this is what my plan B is. And plan B is ever involving. But they get that opportunity to start to dream again, start to see that there is a possibility of having a fulfilling life without children, start to hope again, start to want again, because we stop wanting. You know, if I couldn't have a child, what's the point? It's an incredibly moving experience to be a part of, to witness, you know, to facilitate, to help open that door for them mm-hmm. and hold their hands while they, in some respects, tentatively walk through, in some respects, jump through so that they can go away on the Sunday feeling like it is possible. And, you know, yeah, there's hope. There is hope. And also to have a group of women, a community of women that they never didn't necessarily have before, who also get it, who they can then have that connection with and walk through this journey with them. Because up until that point, a lot of these women are alone. You know, they're on their own going through it or trying to go through it or stuck in it. Whereby when they come on the Reignite weekends, they can, in a way, exhale. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they can start to breathe again and they can do it with women who get it community um, is so important it is you you know you, being on my own not knowing how to talk and this is something that black you know the black community is very good at because you know don't bring shame on the family don't talk right. about your problems outside of the home so when it comes to things like this personal where are we going for help and also, you you know, culturally, I think religion plays a big part mm-hmm. in that as well. So then there's a lot of take it to God. So therefore, people are not necessarily vocalizing it. And take it to God can mean a lot of different things. Take it, God could just mean talking to other women about it, being in a space where people get it and allow you to talk and be angry and be upset and be hurt and whatever emotions come out for you. But all of these things are so many different experiences we have generally and we have as black women as asian women that contribute to us remaining silent and therefore being on our own with this pain and this grief and then we internalize it and that adds to our health issues (laughs) there you go absolutely absolutely because you know if you if you don't heal from your story you will transmit it yeah so you know you know and it will transmit in different ways And as you said, we can become ill. We can make ourselves ill just by being quiet. Yes, yes, it's true. And, you know, as I was listening to, I was thinking, you know, because most of most of the listeners know that I am a believer, but I also believe that he's not the author of confusion and he created us with knowledge and we have to turn around and use that knowledge. It's not always just as easy as, quote unquote, 
take it to God. Sometimes it means going to a therapist and he created, he created the therapists. He created doctors to, we can't oh. heal ourselves or, you know, yeah. we can't do surgery on ourselves. I mean, he just wants us to use common sense sometimes, you know, I mean, it's not about just, of course we pray, if the, you know, those of us who are believers, we pray and we trust and we believe, but he also wants us to exercise common sense and wisdom. Yeah. Well, I think there are different ways to pray as well, because, mm -hmm. you know, I have a different narrative of who yeah. God or, or who or what he means for me, and which is not the traditional view of how I was brought up. But, you know, even I, I would consider what we are doing right now a prayer. Of course. Yeah. You know, so it comes in many forms um, and it's not limited to being on your knees and having a formula uh, and a prescription of, of how how you do it, which is what I was kind of in a way brought up on. Right. When you said what we're doing now is a prayer, I'm thinking that even what we're doing now may be an answer to somebody's prayer. <laughs> and Yeah, it, it can be anything and everything. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, absolutely. I Absolutely. And I've just found the quote I was trying to remember. It's by Richard Raw. If you do not share your story, you will show your story. Ooh. And mm. it will manifest. It will manifest. That's a good one. I'm going to put that in the show notes as well. Richard Roth? Yeah. So Raw, R-O-H-R. If you do not share your story, you show your story? Yeah. Okay. If you do not share your story, you will show your story. How many people are out there sharing? Yeah, exactly. or showing, showing, I should say. There you go, and, and and some of it's so unconscious they're not even aware they're doing it. Right. And again, as you said, it could be manifesting in things that are happening in your body. Right. I can think of the way I react to things and the way I deal with things coming from things that that have happened to me in the past or that I've been through in the past. I I know for a fact that the way I respond. And I think that's important. We have to, again, back to what we we're saying before about doing the work. We have to be able to do the work to know why mm -hmm. we are, how we are. And yeah. that will make us sometimes pause on a reaction or a decision because where's the decision or the reaction really coming from? Does it make sense or is it coming from something we've been through, which is making us react this way? I think if we do that kind of hard work, It'll help us pause sometimes and make us less apt to open our mouths and put our foot in our mouths as well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, do you know, as you're saying that, you're reminding me of a book by David Rico called When the Past is Present. So healing the emotional wounds that sabotage our relationships. He speaks to this exactly that, you know, if we it's it's about, you know, the lot of reactions we, we're triggered every day. Every relationship, every interaction, there's there's a trigger. And what it's doing is reminding us of things of our past, but we tend to attribute it to what's happening in the present and therefore we can blame. So you've done something to me. And effectively, actually, you know, all you've done is reminded me of something in my past that I haven't dealt with. Right. And that's what I need to go back and deal with. And when we're aware of that, we can go back and do the work. You know, I will kind of come across things now and I go back to my therapist. I'm like, hey. <laughs> what's going on here this happened to me i know it's got nothing to do with what happened in the present let's go back and have a look at this right. and it really helps me to unpack a lot of the stuff that i have been carrying from my past and like, as i said it's all unconscious so without the knowledge of us doing this mm -hmm. we are then transmitting that onto other people as well right because as I said, we just start to blame and you're doing it and you're the bad person. You're the horrible one. You're, you know, you, you've done this to me when actually all they're doing is exposing what we haven't gone back and dealt with. What we haven't dealt with. Yeah. Right. What we haven't dealt with. Yeah. And so that as I was searching to see your first, to find your first episode, I came across the episode on triggers and how to deal with them. So I'm going to put that in the show notes too. I didn't think about it at the time because I was just looking for your episode, but I'm going to go ahead for every, anyone listening and thinking about how things trigger you or trigger us. Look in the show notes as well. I don't remember the episode number, but it's on triggers. It's with that epic picture of somebody created a being or a man and took out, left out the whole middle part of them. I'll have to look and see if I can find it. But anyway, I'm going to put it in the show notes so that we can go back and really 
maybe this is maybe 2023 is the year we do the work because as mm -hmm. I was talking about on my December 2022 episode, I was talking about how 2022 had a theme and I didn't really plan it that way. But the theme of 2022 was about health and wellness and food and dieting, why we do the diets and all of the things about right around health and wellness and just, you know, caring for ourselves from the inside out. And so I think the more I think about it, and this may just happen, we're going to do some deep diving. And that kind of leads to my next question for you, which is you said that you're going to start the work to become a therapist. Yeah. So how, how will that look? How do you envision that looking as far as who you will be interacting with, who you will be dealing with, I guess, for lack of a better term? Whoa, this is a question. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm, in my first year of psychodynamic counseling training mm -hmm. and i think so what kind of led me to this place was or is because of the work i've been doing with gateway and the reignite weekends and being around women who want to be helped really gives me so much joy you know it, it it's a different place to be than being in your workplace where actually most people are coming to work, just wanting to work and they don't want you to help them in any shape or form. So kind of being in that space and it's part of my healing too, you know, really helped to kind of in a way, I'm going to say expose me or open me up mm. to who I am, to wanting to do work on me, for me, to then feel like actually I really want to be in this space to help open a door or give other women an opportunity to be listened to and be heard. Mm -hmm. And with that, what I found was that black women, again, being very general as a culture, we, we don't really talk, right. you know, talk on this level, you know, yeah, you know, we'll have the, which is not girls and exposing ourselves in the way that leads to healthy healing. And I feel for me, I want to create that space for black women or women of color to have, because there's not many black, when you look at it, there's not many black therapists out there. And I, I when I was looking for a therapist, I really wanted to work with a black woman because I wanted someone who just got it. Right. That I didn't have to really spend ages explaining or even not eat, hiding because sometimes we're in a space with people who don't look like us and we hide our true selves and we just do enough because enough is still safe. But we're not really opening our true selves up to really be able to do the work and, and get our healing. So for me, it's wanting to be in that place where I can offer that as well. I don't fully know what this will look like as yet because it is very early days and there are other things I'm exploring around that. However, I do want to be able to create the space that black women, black people can be open and raw. And the thing is, because I'm doing psychodynamic counseling, you know, I, there's a black and Asian network of therapists in the UK. Um, and there are a good number of black therapists on there, but not many that have done psychodynamic counseling. So for me, it was felt important to actually offer, be able to offer that because it's a lot deeper work. So it was felt important to be able to offer that space as well as the counseling space as well. So what is psychodynamic counseling? So it's, it's about the past. It's about going back and, mm. and bringing the unconscious to the conscious. Um, as I said, you know, we carry a lot of stuff that we're not even aware of. And what psychodynamic counseling does that's different from other modalities is that it is about going deeper. It's going backwards. It's going back to our childhood. It's about looking at the past that is playing out in the present. It's about all that unconscious stuff that we are not necessarily aware of, but probably feel. We're probably aware of it in our bodies. Right. Um, but maybe attribute it to something else because we we would. But being able to look at that unconscious stuff and making it conscious so that we can start to understand, we can understand the whys of what is happening for us in that present mm -hmm. moment. Interesting. Okay, well, you know, I'll be keeping in touch to find out how things are going <laughs> when it comes to that. But speaking of that, in a way, in the meantime, you're doing things like you're planning a TED Talk. You said you put the word out, so I'm going to help you put the word out now. <laughs> Uh, we're going to just hold you to it. I can't wait. <laughs> so do you know what it's going to be about? 
I haven't got a clue as yet, but you know, Sevilla, I am coming to you because me and you, we've we've had this conversation before and I'm going to be now, as I said, you're holding me to account now. So, you know, I'm going to be reaching out. I'm reaching out to all my friends to kind of look at, actually explore what this TED Talk could be about. And it's going to be about being a black childless woman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's There's going to be some history in that. It's going to be raw. It's going to be deep. Um, but I don't know how it's going to shape up as yet. So that's, mm-hmm. I'm going to be tapping into your resources, Sevilla, and asking for your air to kind of work through some ideas with you. I'm here for it. All of it. <laughs> I am here. <laughs> because I know I want to do one as well. I just yeah. don't know. I, I don't think I'm as close to it as you are. So I know it's some, it's on my bucket list, but I'm here for you right now because I yeah, know yeah. that you're much closer to that. Speaking of that, though, you also, you know, I want to go back to something you said. I know we've been talking for a minute, but you talked about the fact that there aren't a lot of black therapists. And mm. it made me think of something I heard. Oh, OK, now some of you are going to be I don't know. Some of, some of you may not care. Some of you may. I don't know. But I'm just going to put it out there. I've been listening to the documentary by Prince Harry and Duchess uh, Megan. Okay. okay. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, and I'm going <laughs> to keep listening to it too. And nobody said that they were perfect and that they did everything just the way they were supposed to, but that means that none of us are perfect either. Yeah. And I'm here for them and I, I continue to wish them and their family the best. I know that the decisions Prince Harry made, he did it because of what happened to his mother. I mean, that's the bottom line. But anyway, so as I was listening to that, one of the people that they had on the documentary talked about the fact that black people make up 3.5% of Britain. And I was like, what? Yeah. That's 3.5%. And here in America, black people make up 14% and there's not a whole lot of black people, you know? Yeah. I was like, wow, 3.5%. And then I got to thinking, because that's me, my mind just starts to go down a rabbit hole. I'm thinking if here in America, there are not a whole lot of black doctors in the medical field, you have to be careful when you're going to the hospital, going to see the doctor. People, Again, people do not understand that every aspect of a black person's life, we have to protect because even just going to the doctor sounds so normal. But if you're going to a doctor who was trained to believe, it's in the training books, I've heard black doctors talk about this, that black people don't feel pain as much as other people. Or even like the Band-Aids, this all, this stuff started coming out after the George Floyd murder. But even, did you ever think about Band-Aids? That, what color, what color are Band-Aids? Yeah, that light brown color yeah right so they started making darker i haven't seen them but i I heard Uh, that they started making darker band-aids and it sounds so what's the word i'm looking for maybe it sounds a little trite on on one level but honestly it's not yeah it's not trite to think about even band-aids so it just made as you said you know there are not a whole lot a lot of black therapists There's there's not a whole lot of black doctors Yeah. You know, I know in the UK, you know, the doctors are going through the the, through medical school with a very Mm -hmm. Eurocentric model of medicine. So therefore, black and Asian women, our needs are not met in that arena. And Mm -hmm. it's something I realized through my fertility or infertility journey that I was a result of that. Um, and I would never have seen it before. I mean, you know, culturally, I'm very used to black people trusting in the medical profession because, you know, they've been trained and they've gone through all their schooling. So they should know what they're talking about. And actually, when it comes to our bodies, they don't <laughs> generally do not know what they're talking about because we are different. We have different needs and we're, we're not being seen for that. And in some respects, probably are being seen for that. And, and it's been in a way disregarded. So, you know, you can kind of frame that in different ways. But when I think about the fact that I had fibroids and going through my infertility journey where they were like, oh, actually, they shouldn't cause you any problems with getting pregnant. Then later on, finding out that black women are diagnosed with fibroids about three times as frequently as white women. Mm. 
we develop them more early in life and we tend to experience larger and more numerous fibroids that cause more severe symptoms. Now, I had very, very painfully heavy periods. Mm-hmm. And the most I ever got up until a point was maybe it's your age. So here we've got the whole, we have a higher tolerance of pain aspect mm-hmm. of play now. And here we've got the aspect of, hang on, if we are more susceptible to fibroids, we suffer from them at a higher rate and at an earlier age. Why is no one, when I was 43, being told that, oh, it shouldn't affect your chance of getting pregnant? And given, bearing in mind, I had to lie and push to get fertility investigations mm-hmm. when I presented at 42, not being able to get pregnant. I had, I could only come back and go, ah, well, systemic racism is playing out here. Look what's in their mindset, that they don't see a black woman in front of them with fibroids, having different needs, having painful periods, and, and not thinking what's going on and what help there should be given to this person. At 48, I was diagnosed with adenomyosis only because I had very severe anemia mm. that they were then investigating it because... That's what you do when someone presents with very, very severe anemia. But then to kind of go on this journey where, in a way, accidentally found out that, oh, yeah, you've got adenomyosis at 48. Wow. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Then to kind of go through the route of having a hysterectomy, which was not easy. And, I'm, you know, there's other routes that I have since discovered through the forums that I follow that there are, people out there, not doctors, not traditional doctors, but are trained to look after the black body, mm-hmm. that there are other ways of actually dealing with our fibroids and, and wounds, our womb health, mm-hmm. that I was not aware of and, and our medical professionals don't promote. I mean, there are other reasons for that as well. But I think when we do the research for ourselves, you'd be amazed at what's out there hindering the ex- or in- impacting the experience we have within the medical f- professions and hindering the care that we need because that model isn't there for us. Right. And I, I, I want to say here that for those listening who this may be like first time hearing this type of conversation or just, you know, in shock that these things are happening, And I'm not trying to speak for you, Yvonne. So, you know, if you want to add to it, of course, please do. But when we talk about the fact that black bodies are different, it's it's true. But remember, different ethnicities present with different types of diseases, for lack of a better term, and you have to treat it based on their ethnicity. So we're not trying to say that we're different, meaning inferior. It just means that we have a different way of presenting, even even like when I was caring for my mom, I learned so much in caring for her and now caring for my dad that they check your blood pressure a different way. They also check your kidney. There are numbers within the kidney labs that they do that they look at them differently, the lab results for if you're what they call African-American. So the, the numbers are looked at differently for your kidney labs if you're quote unquote African-American versus another race. It also reminds me of a story of this woman. She had just gotten married. She went on her honeymoon to, I don't remember what country it was. And and if I did, I probably wouldn't mention it because I'm not trying to denigrate a country. But she went on a honeymoon with her husband to this country. And she went out on a walk. And unfortunately, she was raped. She never told her husband about it. She had a baby. And something was going on with the baby at some point in the child's life. And the doctors were confused because the issue that was going on with the baby would come from somebody who was of that ethnicity. And she finally had to tell the truth that she had been raped. And that's when they realized they started putting two and two together. Okay, well, the person that raped you was probably of this ethnicity because your baby's having this particular problem. And so this is what we all need to keep in mind. We are Definitely not here to say that we are lesser because our bodies are different. Absolutely. It's just that different ethnicities present with different things. So I just wanted to plug that in there. Yeah. Is anybody had a question? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's, you know, good to say that, Sevilla, because different doesn't mean less than. It exactly. It's different. And, and in a way, we grew up with a history of we are different. 
you know, mm-hmm. and difference is good. But the, our difference wasn't seen as good or, or, or beautiful. It was seen as less than exactly than history. Exactly. And I know that's not what you meant. I just wanted the listener yeah, no. who might not be familiar to Absolutely. understand. We don't consider ourselves less than. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's great that you kind of picked up on that and pointed it out because I can imagine somebody sitting there and hearing that's exactly what we're saying. Right. So yeah. then why why are we talking about it if it's the truth? You know, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not the truth. <laughs> Speaking of that, I know we've got a little bit long and I, and I hope that this, I, I feel like this is an engaging and intriguing enough conversation that if you don't mind, I just have a couple more things that I wanted to ask you about. Sure. The Witty Gordon Project. I have to ask you about that because I'm a woman of a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> Well, this is this is quite exciting, actually. So a lady called Fiona contacted me and actually it came on the back of her talking to Jodie Day mm-hmm. from Gateway Women who said, oh, yeah, speak to Yvonne. So Fiona contacted me saying, yeah, they, her and her colleague are doing a project and they're making a film. And it's about women who are over the age of 50 who are living a different life, you know, breaking boundaries, pushing boundaries, breaking the rules, just being different, embracing life in a way that we weren't supposed to embrace life in. And for me, you know, it's not about being childless but it's it was about and and I suppose in a way you know I can't not tell my version of a story I'm given because it's an, it's a part of me and it's an important part of how I'm here now being you know I'm turning 52 in a couple of weeks and it's it's a version of me that I never would have imagined in a million years would mm-hmm. have existed <laughs> and I know it was, it's a version of me that's here because of me facing the grief of not being able to have children. So yeah, they're doing a film. I'm, I'm going to be filming in February next year, in February, 2023. And I get to be this badass woman. I mean, I said when I turned 50, I wanted to grow old disgracefully. So I get to, in a way, live, live that through, have it a bit immortalized in film. Although I don't, you know, people will hear my story probably don't think I'd be disgraceful in any way, but it's definitely a different version to what was given to me when I was younger. You know, I should have been married. I should have had children. I should have done everything the way it was supposed to have been done. Mm-hmm. And for me now, it's like, you know what? Yeah, I've been married. I'm divorced. I couldn't have children with my ex-husband. I don't particularly want to get married again but loving a different kind of existence in a relationship the way I want it to be or negotiating the space with somebody else, giving myself permission to be a badass warrior woman. (laughs) That is just so freeing to be able to share that with a world that I would never have been able to share that with. I think it's so exciting and, and again, another honour for for it to be there. You know, I love that these women want to do this project and have this idea in mind. And I love that I get to be a part of it as well and, and share who I am differently <laughs> to who I sh- was supposed to have been. It sounds really interesting. I really can't, yeah. I can't wait to, to see it. And so it's a film, it's a film. Yeah. Um, okay. Yes. Okay. I see that in my notes. A film about changing the narrative about women over 50 as being past it, or in our, in our words in the U.S., past our prime. Yeah. And recognizing and shining light on strong women who are embracing the next phase of their lives in a way that is individual, creative, and unapologetic. So I hope that those listening are, I'm going to remind you guys when it comes out, because I'm going to be asking Yvonne about this as well. As we close out, I, there are a couple of things, you know, like the talk that you were going to do at the recovery college. Is that done or is it coming? I did that a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So basically the recovery college had a four week program looking at childlessness and they had different people speaking of different aspects around it. So I was on their last session, again, shared my story and they really wanted to have a narrative around healing. You know, how do you work through this? and heal from this pain. So, you know, I got to 
share, like what I did was talk them through the five stages of grief mm-hmm. and kind of showed them how it can show up and how it showed up for me. And actually, because sometimes we don't recognize we're in grief as well. And I felt it was really good to kind of highlight that. But then also with grief, apart from the fact that it's seen as this linear process. So you start denial, you get to acceptance, you move through every stage, you know, one at a time, you get to acceptance and it should all be over. When there's a lack of recognition that A, you might not touch every stage. You might touch two stages at the same time. You might go from denial. You might skip a stage and go to another one, but come back to denial and bargaining and anger. You can do all of them at any point (laughs) in your life, because again, whatever triggers you will bring you into one part of that grief cycle. And it is a cycle. Mm -hmm. But the hardest thing for women in our situation is getting to acceptance. Because if we can accept this journey, If we can accept we're here, if we can accept that we are not going to have children, we probably didn't want it bad enough in the first place, which is not true. So I really wanted them to hear how grief can show up, how it works, how it's not a linear process, but also how vital the acceptance is. And it's not an acceptance that you would traditionally think it is. You know, there's a, I mean, for me, acceptance apart from other things, was also about accepting that I'm grieving, accepting that I will always grieve, accepting that other people are not good at this Mm -hmm. and are not able to help me because of where they're at or may not even accept the choices I made on my journey or that I'm even here. You know, there's so much to acceptance that when I started, again, my fragmented life, started to pull them in together and heal all of that helped me to be able to accept you know this is who I am this is where I am and this is my journey and every single one of them is okay and I could still love myself with and through it all Mm -hmm. wow that sounds fabulous is there a link by any chance or no no, there isn't one. And I'm not sure if there will be. It was recorded and I I think it was just for their group. Okay. I had the opportunity to facilitate a men's panel mm-hmm. at the Story House Childless event in Chester earlier in this year in 2022. And it was amazing. I think there were five men. Most of them had were speaking about their childless, either by choice or not by choice status for the first time. And it's, it's, it's voices that even I'm not used to hearing. So to be able to facilitate that conversation with them, to be witness to their stories, to sit in that space with them. You know, we made history with that event, got a lot of great feedback from it. And I felt honored to be invited to facilitate the session, let alone, you know, then <laughs> be in there amongst them. It was very, very powerful, very humbling. And I took my hat off to them because, you know, again, generalizing, men don't necessarily talk and talk in the way that they were talking, especially when it comes to infertility. You know, that's something men don't necessarily own up to. So speaking of talking about speaking of feeling like less than that, that's something that could probably make them feel less than. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, oh. I've kind of heard a lot of black men kind of doing the whole what's wrong with you or you're not a man if you don't have children. So it's it's a very silencing experience. And you've got, you know, the Asian culture as well, blame the women for infertility. It's something that is not even going to be accepted for the men in the culture, let alone the culture itself. So it's, it's huge. It's huge that they're able to talk about it and take the lid off and expose it for what it is. Wow. That sounds, that does sound really, really powerful. And, um, you know, I've talked about this before in previous episodes. It takes two. It's not always a woman's fault. Absolutely. I don't know how else to say this. I mean, which I I don't even know. It's just, I'm at a loss for words that we're in the 21st century and there's still, uh, anyway. I don't get it's, it. It's, it's, it. I know. I mean, hey, we could go back on that history on there too. And it, and it is sad to know that we are in this place where women are being shamed mm-hmm. in this way. You know, it's not about shaming the men because there shouldn't be any shame in it. No. But 
you know, when we're going to sit there and blame women for essentially could be the root cause could be anywhere, it becomes a very silencing, shaming, uh, you know, experience. And one that we don't need to go through. It's hard enough already. And we don't need to go through that as well. Yeah. And I'm, I know it's just a few episodes back where I interviewed a man about being childless. And it was on his part, the childlessness came from an incident when he was a child. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we talked about that. So I just really want people to really, again, I guess yeah. this episode is about putting in the work. Yeah. We really need to put in the work before we just go off on a tangent and assume this and assume that. Uh, another thing is it's the man who decides the sex of the child. So when you see a couple having all the girls, stop asking, well, where are the boys? And stop asking the woman what's going on. It's the man that decides the sex of the child. <laughs> I just also want to add uh, on another note is that I'm getting the opportunity to talk to a lot of law firms as well, which I think is amazing because they're, you know, law firms, change makers, Mm -hmm. policy changes. It's great to have our stories, our narratives. It's great that I'm able to kind of present what we're experiencing in the workplace. Mm. in a way that they can start to think, oh, my God, how can we reduce the disparities here? Because we're living, we we work under policies that discriminate against Mm -hmm. women, people in the workplace, even men who would like to take a sabbatical but can't. But yet a woman can go on maternity leave for a year in the UK and no one will bat an eyelid about it. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying women shouldn't go on maternity leave. What I'm saying is why can't I have the same opportunity to have a year off work? Right. Because it might do them some good. It would do them yeah, some good. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes people need that break just to recharge and find themselves because they might be that lost in whatever, you know, they, they've lost themselves because of all sorts of stuff that could be happening mm-hmm. in their lives. So to be able to have a year off to recharge, again, this is not a competition. I can imagine people sitting there going, but having a year off to have a baby isn't easy. I'm not saying it is. What I'm just highlighting is that we don't get the same opportunities to have time off as women who are going on maternity leave. And that becomes unfair. It can become discriminatory when when somebody's going, can I have time off because I want to have this sabbatical? And we're being told no, because the system, the business cannot sustain that. But yet no one says no to women going off to have children. They can't, but they, you know, we have to, the business has to sustain. And sometimes it can be multiple women going off in the same department Mm -hmm. that has to be sustained but yet we don't get the same considerations that you know we want to look at it being fair it's not we don't need a competition we don't need to set each up you know women against women because that's not what it's about it's about having the policies that mean we all have the opportunity to ask for something the reasons will be different but we all have that opportunity to ask for what we need Right. Because at the end of the day, the bottom line is we are all human beings and we all need to be aware and get the assistance we need with our mental health, our physical health, Absolutely. no matter who we are, what we look like at the end of the day. That's Absolutely. It. Yeah. So speaking of that, as we wind up here, I just wonder if you have any final words for the listeners, you know, as we head into 2023 and just anything that you'd like to say as a a final word. Oh, so I want to encourage people to look at themselves with openness and honesty. I have a quote, sometimes going through difficulties is less about revealing our weakness and more about revealing our strengths. And I think when we have the courage to really look at ourselves, to look at where we're at, to face what we're going through. We can see the strength within us that will help us to keep standing and moving forward. I love that. And I'm going to be asking you to forward me that quote because I'm going to use it for our show level art at some in some way. So if you can forward that quote to me, I would really appreciate it. And to everyone listening, you see why I asked her to come back? because (laughs) she's fabulous and I knew she was up to so much more since episode 103 that I just I wanted her to come back and talk to us again and just encourage us and to remind us that we are worthy 
And so I really, really hope that everybody enjoyed this episode. I think it's going to be one of those episodes that you may need to listen to more than once. I hope you're listening to all the episodes at least once. But I think this is one of those episodes. And that's why I wanted this to be also the first episode of 2023, because I've, I've noticed not that there are any lesser people throughout the year, but I've noticed that the episode conversation that starts the year has been what's kept the year in a particular theme. So that's why I already believe that this is going to be the theme of 2023. I think it's fabulous. So Ms. Yvonne John, thank you so very much for for taking the time with us today and speaking to us and encouraging us. It's It's really fabulous. And I just thank you for it. It's appreciated. You're so welcome. And as as I'm going to say goodbye, I'm going to end on one more quote because I've just found this other one by Tracy McMillan and I think it really closes off our conversation nicely. Life doesn't give you what you ask for. It gives you the people, places, situations to allow you to develop what you ask for. Okay, so please forward that as well because the show notes, as you guys can see, will be chock full of a <laughs> lot of great information. So I'll be waiting for that to, to be forwarded as well. It's on its way. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yvonne. It's, it's been a, a true pleasure. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. Thank you too.